Hey neighbor, I appreciate you stopping by. It's a great evening tonight. Fall's in the air. Won't be long. It'll be Christmas time. But hey, pull up a chair. I'll run inside the house and get you a cup of joe. I'll be right back. Hey, you're listening to Guat Dot Rocks, God, the World, and Other Things. I'm Kenny Price, your host. Today's episode, episode 59, The Fight That Advances Peace, Part 2, otherwise known as The Dossier on the False Shepherds. Let me say right up front, you may be thinking to yourself, Kenny, what in the world is wrong with you? Why are you obsessed with this subject? And I want to tell you, friends, it's not that I've got to burn my saddle or a bone to pick. I'm deeply concerned and disturbed about the state of our nation, the state of our country, the state of our world. And as I said in the last podcast, we can trace the failures and the debacles that are going on in our midst back to the local church. We cannot escape the responsibility for that which we have birthed in our nation and in our world. We have to take responsibility for it. If we're going to see any change in our culture, in our society, in our world, it's going to come through the activity of the local church, of Christ's body here on earth. And so with that, I want to say that this is something that we need to give ultimate attention to. And so I want to continue by looking at the passage of Scripture found in the book of Jude. The book of Jude is actually just one chapter long, but it deals with this very subject that we're wrestling with right now. It says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who are the called, loved by God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Dear friends, although I was eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I found it necessary to write, appealing to you to contend for the faith that was delivered to the saints once for all. For some people who were designated for this judgment long ago have come in by stealth. They are ungodly, turning the grace of our God into sensuality and denying Jesus Christ, our only Master and Lord. Now I want to remind you, although you came to know all these things once and for all, that Jesus saved the people out of Egypt and later destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their own position but abandoned their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains in deep darkness for the judgment on the great day. Likewise, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns committed sexual immorality and perversions and serve as an example by undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. In the same way, these people, relying on their dreams defile their flesh, reject authority, and slander glorious ones. Yet Michael the archangel was disputing with the devil in an argument about Moses' body. He did not dare utter a slanderous condemnation against him, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme anything they do not understand. And what they do understand by instinct, like irrational animals, by these things they are destroyed. Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain, have plunged into Balaam's error for profit, and have perished in Korah's rebellion. These people are dangerous reefs at your love feasts, as they eat with you without reverence. They are shepherds who only look after themselves. They are waterless clouds carried along by the winds, trees in late autumn, fruitless, twice dead and uprooted. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shameful deeds, wandering stars for whom the blackness of darkness is forever reserved. It was about these that Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam prophesied, Look, the Lord comes with tens of thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly concerning all the ungodly acts they have done in an ungodly way and concerning all the harsh things ungodly sinners have said against him. These people are discontented grumblers living according to their desires. Their mouths utter 
utter arrogant words, flattering people for their own advantage. But you, dear friends, remember what was predicted by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They told you in the end time there will come scoffers, living according to their own ungodly desires. These people create divisions and are worldly, not having the Spirit. But you, dear friends, as you build yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting expectantly for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life. Have mercy on those who waver. Save others by snatching them from the fire. Have mercy on others, but with fear, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory without blemish and with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, power, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. Wow, that's a lot, folks, but i tell you what it needs to be said. And if you'll stay with me for just a minute, I want to break this down in a way that hopefully we can get to the point really quick. Right here we see in the book of Jude that there is a strong appeal that's made to contend for the faith. Contend means to give strong exertion, to battle hard. The faith is the body of our belief. It's not in question. It's settled. It's once for all delivered to the saints. Why are we called to contend? Why? Because Jude tells us that false shepherds have secretly infiltrated our churches. He says, ungodly persons who pervert the grace of God into licentiousness and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. He gives three vivid historical accounts and he presents them as proof of God's settled righteous judgment against these false shepherds. He says the unbelieving people of the Exodus. So the first thing he points to is for the people that were delivered from the slavery of Egypt, meant to go to the promised land, which should have been an 11-day journey. Instead, it took them 40 years. Why? There is no way that God was going to let those people who were unbelieving enter the promised land. So he kept them going around in circles out in the desert for a full generation, 40 years, so that the unbelievers would die in the desert and not enter the promised land. The second vivid historical account that Jude appeals to are the disobedient angels who left their proper place. Though the effects of the fall manifested in the ungodly offspring of Cain and his descendants were in Satan's pocket, Satan knew from God's word in Genesis 3:15 that through the seed of the woman, God was going to bring forth a Messiah who would destroy him. Some of the angels who fell with Satan were not content with their proper abode and therefore began to live among men and women as men. Genesis chapter 6 describes a desperate attempt on the part of Satan to attack the godly remnant. It says the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men and they bore children to them. They were the mighty men that were of old, the men of renown. The result of the union between fallen angels and women is implied to be the Nephilim, a race of superhumans who are the product of this angelic invasion of the earth. God's judgment upon them was to place them in bonds so they can no longer promote Satan's purposes on the earth, as do the unbound fallen angels who continue to do his bidding. In 2 Peter, he tells us that for if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment, the implication is that he will do the same for others who rebel against God. So long as a righteous seed is preserved, God's promise of salvation hangs over the head of Satan, threatening of his impending doom. So to summarize, these disobedient angels who left their proper abode, their proper station in the created order, in order to attempt to contaminate the 
bloodline of man was thwarted with the flood of Noah. The flood came as a result of the, of the wickedness of mankind, but in the midst of that also was the destruction of this demon seed. Therefore, the bloodline of man was not contaminated through which the promised Messiah came. The third vivid historical account that Jude gives as proof of God's settled righteous judgment against these false teachers are the perverse five cities of the plains that were destroyed by fire. Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, Zeboim, and Zoar. Jude gives us the strong appeal. He tells us why the appeal is necessary. He gives us proof that God's judgment is sure. Next, he gives us the undeniable pronouncement of past prophetic and present judgment guaranteed against these false shepherds. In verse 4, he says that long ago destined for this destruction. Verse 10, it says they are destroyed by their instinctive animalistic knowledge. Verse 12 says they are twice dead. Verse 13 says for whom the nether gloom of darkness has been reserved forever. Verses 14 and 15 mentions the prophecy of Enoch, which says to execute judgment on all ungodly, their deeds of ungodliness, their ungodly way, the harsh words of their ungodly sinner followers. In verse 11, Jude himself says, woe to them. That means what terrible pain is coming to them, how great they will suffer. So let's look for just a minute at the personality profile of the false shepherds. The first thing is they're ungodly perverts who turn grace into licentiousness. In other words, they turn the freedom of God in grace into a reason to sin without restriction. Second, they deny the master and Lord Jesus Christ by their rebellious actions. You see, by words, many of them will appear to be legitimate, yet we have to look at their actions. C, the deluding teaching through false dreams and fantasies, stories that they make up. D, they reject the majestic power the Lord wields. E, they're blasphemers. It says that they blaspheme glorious ones, and they also blaspheme the illumination of the Holy Spirit because they are dark. And it's interesting that it says that Michael the archangel, when he was in argument with Satan over where the body of Moses would be buried, because you remember Moses himself was restricted, kept from going into the promised land because of his disobedience. You ask yourself, well, why was he restricted from moving into the promised land? Because he struck the rock twice. But yet in the New Testament, we find out that the rock was Christ. His anger was manifested towards God himself. And God said, Moses, you've gone too far. And so he was able to look into the promised land, but he was not able to enter. And because of that, he died outside the promised land. And it says that Michael and the devil argued over where the body of Moses would be buried. And yet even in the midst of that argument that the chief angel of Almighty God did not rebuke Satan himself, he said, the Lord rebuke you. And folks, this is is a strong warning that we need to observe. How many television preachers and how many people's and pastors in the pulpit speak openly about rebuking? And yet even the chief angel of God himself would not do it because something that we don't fully understand, we see through a glass darkly right now, dimly. But yet the fact of the matter is, whether we fully understand it or not, that Satan to this moment and until his day that he's cast into an eternal hell, he reports to God on a regular basis. We know this from the book of Job. And so even even though the fallen angels are evil with intent to destroy, they still exist in the realm of God's glory. Now, friends, that's a fact. It's hard to get our minds around. That is not to say that the ways of God are evil, but they operate within the realm of God's glory. We need to keep in mind that God's ways are being worked on the planet in spite of their evil actions. And so it is blasphemy to bring a railing as accusation against the glorious ones. That is God's work. That's not even the work of the chief angel, Michael. And so they're blasphemers. 
And they speak about things that they don't know because why? Because the Holy Spirit is the one who leads us into all truth and they are void of the Spirit of God. So therefore, what they say, they say from darkness. F, they operate by animalistic instinct that is void of the life of God. G, they're hidden dangers in our fellowships. We're given a lot of of natural uh, comparisons here to help us to try to grasp the fact of how serious this matter is. They're like unseen shallow reefs. If you're on board ship and you don't see the reef, I think about that large cruise ship where that crazy captain of the ship moved too close to shore so that some guy that was working on board ship could wave at his family there on the shore and he hit the shallows and flipped over that massive ship and caused it to list and collapse sideways, putting all the people at harm. And yet the Bible says that these false shepherds, these false shepherds are like unseen shallow reefs. They're hidden dangers. H, they're narcissists. It clearly says that they are shepherds who feed only themselves. What an anathema, God forbid. The shepherd is to care for the flock. The under-shepherd of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, his primary goal first before evangelism is you have to feed the flock. If you have a dead flock, you don't have the church. These guys are narcissists. These people are narcissists. Either full of empty promises and disappointed hopes. It says that they are clouds without water. They look like they're going to promise rain, but yet they don't deliver. J, there are no true spiritual fruit. It says that they're fruitless trees. The implication is that they're fruit trees, but they don't bear fruit. So no true spiritual fruit. K, they're overtly shameful. It says that they do what they do in in the midst of your love feast, the time that you come together to share the Lord's Supper, that they do it without shame. It also says they're wandering stars. They're light that gives no direction. Stars were placed into the heavenlies by God to give us light by night so that we would know where we are on the planet. How do you think that the ancient Phoenicians and the ancient uh, shipbuilders knew how to navigate across the globe without any form of technology other than looking at the stars. God placed the stars there on purpose to give us direction. But yet these false shepherds are wandering stars. They give no true light. They give no true direction. They're grumblers. They're malcontents. They're hedonists. It says they're following their own passions. They're out for number one and out for their self-pleasure. They're loudmouth boasters. The final attribute that Jude gives us is that they flatter people to gain advantage. They're schmoozers. And people see this. I want to remind you folks that all of these attributes that we've just read that Jude gives to us as God's children in order to be able to clearly identify and to point out and to notice and to put on record people that are false, people that are wolves in sheep's clothing, these things are clear. These things are clearly seen. And yet we have to ask ourselves, what in the world is going on then with the church? Why are these things happening? We see the apostolic warning in verses 17 through 19. Jude says, But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who set up divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. So, friend, Jude is reminding us these people were prophesied from old and prophesied that they would come to their end, they would come to eternal destruction, that they're destined for destruction. He also tells us that the apostles themselves warned us that this would happen in the last times. Folks, we are living in the last times. Ever since Jesus left the planet, we have been living in the last days. So don't wonder where we are on the scale of time and eternity. We are in the last days. How much more do we need to hear? How much more do we need to know? Why have we been so lax and reluctant to keep a discerning heart and an honest assessment that we welcome into our fellowships as leaders, people who are narcissistic, hedonistic, 
cannibalistic, and destructive to the core. Too many of us have turned a blind eye and deaf ear to the reality that is playing out before us. And dear friend, again, my concern is for the health of our people, the health of our churches, the spiritual health of our people, the the spiritual future of our children, the spiritual future of our nation, the spiritual future of our world. Folks, we are on the rocks. We are in the midst of being destroyed. My mission is to advance equilibrium in the midst of an agitated world. And to do it, we've got to get honest about what the condition of the church is. And we are in devastating decimation. And we must respond. We must rise up. And we must speak out. But I have a few ideas to offer you for consideration. How do we get this way? Number one, thinking contaminated by the false shepherds themselves that has prohibited you from feeling a right and a responsibility to contend for the faith. In other words, indoctrinated to believe that any critical words about your pastor is speaking against God's anointed. Yet these that we struggle against for the faith are the false shepherds. So we've got to recalibrate our thinking and come to realize that when we see operating in our midst people who do not manifest the glory and the righteousness of God, and it's through their actions, and it's through their words, and it's through the results of their words, Jude says we must struggle against that. We must rise up and struggle for the faith and stand up against these false shepherds. Perhaps another thing, acceptance of the ways and words of the false shepherds, because it gives you the freedom to live as you please, contrary to the convicting word of God. So perhaps you have bought into the rebellious culture. The Bible says that in the last days that people will heap up for themselves teachers who tickle their ears. They tell them what they want to hear, not what they need to hear. Perhaps the condition is because of a lack of courage to face conflict that promotes passivity. In other words, you don't want to get involved because you really hate conflict, so therefore you just become passive. An attitude that what I do not know will not hurt me, yet Jude tells us that these people are hidden destruction for us all. You know what? It may be just plain old apathy. You see it, you know it, but you are too lazy to do anything about it. And I mean that in love, but folks, we've got to take a personal inventory of ourselves. One fifth idea is uninformed about your own responsibility to contend for the faith. Folks, this is not just the responsibility of people that are perceived overseers in the church, elders in the church, teachers in the church. This is for every single person, man and woman, that you are responsible to contend for the faith. Jude did not put any qualifiers on that admonition and that call to rise up and to take responsibility and to contend for the faith. So I want to give you some closing words of encouragement. How do we personally thrive amid the struggle for the faith? Struggling for the faith, contending for the faith is not an option. But how do we personally thrive amid this struggle? How do we keep from succumbing to the destruction of the false prophets, false shepherds? He gives us the answer here in starting in verse 20 through 25. He says, but you, beloved. So first of all, we've got to remember that you and I, if we know Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, that we're beloved. He loves us. And the realm that we exist in, even in the midst of this sadness that's going on in our world right now, seeking to tear mankind apart. And folks, I am telling you that I talk to people who are struggling and they're having a hard time and the intense pressure being put on their minds and their well-being is almost unbearable. And against that backdrop, we have got to continually remind ourselves that we are loved. But he says, build yourselves up on your most holy faith. Pray in the Holy Spirit. We're talking about building ourselves up in our holy faith, not in our lasciviousness. And the way that we do that is by praying in the Holy Spirit. In other words, folks, we have to continue to maintain a daily walk with the Lord where we are in constant communication with Him. We read His Bible, that is His words to us. He speaks to us, and then we speak to Him. We have a conversation. 
He goes on in verse 21, it says, Keep yourselves in the love of God. Wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. But folks, these are things that, that God says we can do because the power of the Holy Spirit has come. That you have a responsibility to maintain your own personal integrity and faith. Build yourself up. Keep yourselves in the love of God. And we have to wait. We have to have an attitude of patience for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to be manifested in the coming eternal life. We keep, and not unlike the angels who left their proper abode, our abode in the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is the abode of love with God our Father. 22 and it says, and convince some who doubt. In other words, folks, first of all, first of all, we have to contend for the faith. We've got to struggle for it. We've got to rise up against those who are seeking to tear us down and tear the church down. In the midst of that, you've got to guard yourself and guard your faith by maintaining a proper relationship with God. You've got to preserve yourself in the love of God by immersing yourself in his word, fellowshipping with other believers, maintaining an attitude of patience in the midst of this struggle, knowing that we result in eternal life. In the midst of all that, you can't just focus on yourself and your own personal safety and your own personal spiritual well-being. You also have to continue to be about our Father's business. In verse 22, Jude says, And convince some who doubt. So struggle with those who are having doubts about all of this, about life, about the future, about their spiritual condition. Number 20, verse 23, save some. Save some. So we've got to be about our Father's business and seeing people come to a saving knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he says very vividly, by snatching them out of the fire, on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. Leonard Skinner, the rock band, uh, the song that they wrote about people that are involved in drug addiction. It's interesting. They said, ooh, ooh, that smell. Ooh, ooh, that smell. The smell that's around you. And what they were talking about is the smell of death that immerses the people who are involved in drug addiction. So what I'm talking about is a very vivid thing that Jude says that we are to save some with mercy, with fear, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. He then says, now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you without blemish before the presence of his glory with rejoicing to the only God, our Savior, through Christ Jesus, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Isn't it interesting that when we guard ourselves in our faith, we keep ourselves in the love of God, that the end result is that we will stay busy doing the Father's business, convincing some who are doubting, saving others who are on the verge of destruction, having mercy on those who are the most uh, extreme in their sin, and bringing them to salvation, and realizing the glory of God in our lives that produces rejoicing. And here's the thing, then we spend our time in the midst and the power of God and his glory, majesty, dominion, and authority. It's a big task. I pray that you'll take time to read the book of Jude for yourself and allow it to digest in your mind and that you will become a champion for the faith and that you will struggle for the faith and do what God has commanded us to do in taking responsibility to contend for the faith. Folks, it's a good fight. It's a fight that advances peace. And with that, I bid you peace. Hey, you've been listening to Glock Rocks, God, the world, and other things. Our mission, advancing equilibrium in the midst of an agitated world. I've been your host, Kenny Price. As always, be sure to check out the show notes for info on how you can email us, donate to help make this podcast possible, and all sorts of good info for your consumption. Man, if I can make the show notes scented, I'd make them give off the smoky oak goodness, the way it smells when I'm smoking a brisket. Anyway, until next time, make it a good one.